All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. We're really glad you're here. This is an exciting Sunday, obviously, with baptism and all the stuff that's going on. We're kind of getting back in the swing of things. Teachers are back. Students are back this week. And summer's kind of ended for us. Uh, so excited to see everybody back. A couple of things I want to take care of before we get into the message this morning. First of all, two weeks from this morning, if you've been around Ridge Point for any length of time, often we do a thing called status uh, which is where we gather together, talk about the vision for the next quarter. And we have one of those coming up. But at the beginning of the summer, we shared some information, just some areas to pray for for the future of Rich Point Church, some exciting things we think we might be able to be a part of. And then we kind of let it simmer for the summer, kind of had some conversation going on. So two weeks from this morning, we're not going to have a full status. It's going to be a very brief kind of status update immediately after the service. We'll still be at one service at that point. Uh, so if you're a part of Rich Point Church, if you claim Rich Point Church is your home, once the service ends, we'll have a quick dismissal for anybody who wants to leave, and then a really short informational meeting about that and another opportunity we have coming up as a church. Uh, so just real quick, two weeks from today, the 27th, we'll have a quick status update on some things that are taking place. In addition, one of our goals this year in particular, we have this goal every year, but one of our goals we're really focusing on this year is to create more space to influence more people's lives. And we've been talking about this for the last several weeks, and this is happening today. Uh, but we, we're, we're trying to expand the number of group host homes we have. If you're familiar with Ridge Point Church, uh, we have church that happens on Sunday morning. And then we meet throughout the week at different people's homes doing kind of dinner and Bible study together. And we want to create more space this year in that area of having more host homes. Uh, so if you're a current group leader in, in, a, in a, one of our RPC groups, if maybe that's something you want to be involved in, you want to be a host home, find out what that looks like. Or even if you're any bit curious about what that is all about, we're going to have a brief meeting right after service this morning. Uh, even if you didn't sign up, you can still show up. We'd love for you to take part in at least finding out what that looks like to host an RPC group again right after the service this morning. But today we're kicking off a brand new series here at Ridgepoint Church, and I'm really excited about this. Because growing up in, in my parents' home, we played a lot of board games. In fact, we did a series a couple of months ago called The Game of Life, and now we're getting into Monopoly, which is kind of a, uh, leaning on those, those board games. But as we kicked off that series, I shared, man, we love playing those games. And the reason we love playing those games is because it was a chance to hang out as a family. The whole family gathered together, and, and it was kind of that, that time of, of having fun with the games and, and familial, familial bonding kind of taking place. And, and all of that happening, we loved hanging out playing those games together until somebody pulled out Monopoly. Because once Monopoly was pulled off, pulled out, all bets were off. Like, it's like my goal was to make every other person at the table bankrupt because I wanted to have it all for myself. And so what that meant was we were bar bargaining with other people and we're, we're hoping, we're, we're, we're biting, we're clawing, we're stealing from other people. And that's what we did to grandma. Like, that, like literally, it was like, whatever it takes, I want to win this game. Because at the root of Monopoly... Actually, the tagline for Monopoly is the statement, own it all. And the only way you win Monopoly is by trying to own it all. Like, that was literally the goal of the game. That's why it takes hours. We would sit there for hours playing the game, and now as we've grown up and as we're the adults in the home, we play some board games, and Monopoly, every once in a while, it doesn't come out very often, but when it does, it's serious, we played a game the other, just a couple of months ago as a family, and the kids were kind of playing, and our kids, most of our kids are grown up now, and so they're really serious about it. One of my sons is really good, and he beats us every time at this game, but it's really serious, and so we start playing this, this game, and the game drags on for hours, 
And it's like 1130 at night. We're exhausted. No one wants to play anymore, but nobody wants to give up. So we said, okay, leave the game here. We'll come back and play it. And four weeks later, we hadn't touched the game. But no one was going to touch it. No one was going to mess it up because it's that serious. And it's not just us. In fact, there's all these memes we've seen. We're going to share some of these through our Facebook page. But there's all these memes about Monopoly. This is one of them. A true friendship is the one that survives a Monopoly game. How many of y'all have been there before? Like, you almost lost friendships because of Monopoly. Listen, the last time our kids were playing, it got serious. You could tell there's some tension in the room. A true friendship is one that survives a Monopoly game. Well, that's fine when it's a game. That's fine when it's Monopoly. Because the thing is, I can get frustrated or excited about a game. And then eventually the game ends, maybe a decade later. But the game ends. And we pick up all the pieces, put it in a box. And we move on with life and everybody forgets the game. The problem is... I'm convinced, especially in our culture today, I'm convinced that a lot of us live with that same mindset that we take to play the game of Monopoly about our lives. Our goal is to own it all. But the problem is, in life, I can't just pick up the pieces and put them in the box and go on with life. I start to impact relationships that are all around me. See, whether we want to admit it or not, For the most part, we view success very similar to a Monopoly board game. We think if you have more power, we think if you have more finances, we think if you gain these things, that that is the measure of success. I was at a conference earlier this week, an incredible conference, one of the best conferences I've ever been to, and the person that was sharing was sharing just about how in culture, and this is kind of a person who studies culture and, and the science behind culture, and they said, they said in culture, if we look at someone who's a billionaire, and on their way to being a billionaire, they've run through three wives, and they've lost their relationship with all of their kids, we would still look at that person and call him or her successful. Why? Because they have gained a billion dollars. And for us, that is one of the measures of of success that we've honed in as a society. We thought, well, if they have a bunch of money, that means they were successful in life, even if they've ruined every relationship along the way. If their families disown them, if they have no friends, we would still view them. Most people would still view them as having been successful in their life. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we tend to lean towards this idea of, well, if you own it all... If you have a lot of stuff, then that means that you're successful. And so what happens is there's this gravitational pull in our life to lean into three specific areas that we're going to talk about the next three weeks. To think that if if we just had more success in this area, and this is going to be some real frank conversations in the next couple of weeks, but when it comes to topics like, like, like power, we'll talk about next week, or, or, or like money, we'll talk about the following week, or even when it comes to sex, we'll talk about the third week from now. When it comes to those things, we think if we gain a lot in those areas, then that would mean that we're some measure of successful in our life. And we can look at culture, and, and the more we look at culture today, it seems like the more culture is just going crazy. And we can look at culture and say it's just a a symbol of today's culture, that it's something that's unique to our time period. But actually, experts have gone back and studied what life was like 2,000 years ago. And they found that if anything, the cultural divide back then was even much larger. That there was this huge divide between the upper class and the lower class. And because of that, there was hatred and animosity. 
that there was, there was actually out in the public square, there was immorality and, and, and like, like sex was taking place in the public square. And, and because of that, there was an amoral lifestyle. Uh, there, was, there was all of this stuff. There's a tension politically and there was all sorts of, uh, of turmoil that took place there. And so there was, if anything, society then was worse. And it was into that world that Jesus walked. Now understand, there's a different version of uh, different people were worshiping different types of deity at that point. And if you look at the Greek and Roman gods of mythology, you'd find out their gods weren't very good people. And because of that, people weren't expected to be much more. And so Jesus walked into many societies that, that some people were living according to those measures of, of deity. That's just kind of how they lived their life. And Jesus came with a message that was so countercultural to everything that everybody else had been hearing that his message proved to be scandalous to the people of that day. His message was so counterintuitive to everything that they had been taught about this is the measure of success because just like today, we're taught if we gain, if we gain, if we gain, that that is success. And Jesus comes and says, not at all. In fact, we're supposed to die to ourselves. We're supposed to take up a cross. We're going to talk about some of that this morning, but the idea is we're no longer supposed to live for self. And what happened was there was a small but tight group of people who said, I believe this message. Now, if you study the followers of Jesus, one of the things that you see is that many of the followers of Jesus were really, really young. In fact, it's estimated that some of his disciples were still teenagers when they chose to follow Jesus. And yet if you look, and let's take for a second, take our current community out of the picture. Not not including Rich Point Church, but just if you look at culture in general, if you look at church culture in general, And the amount of people that are going to church, what we see overwhelmingly across the country and sometimes across the world is that young people are leaving the church in droves. And more and more the church is being filled with people who aren't teenagers or or just out of those teenage years. And and the question I have to ask is, well, well, why is that? And I can come to one of two logical deductions. Number one is that the teenage culture has changed drastically. And and I'll be the first to admit as a former youth pastor, it has. But I don't think that's the reason. I think it's because by and large, even our American version of Christianity has suffered greatly from the original teaching of Jesus. In fact, I think there's a gravitational pull inside of all of us to to lean away from those teachings. Because those teachings are challenging, they're difficult And yet these young followers of Jesus, these teenagers and these 20-somethings that are coming and following are saying, wait a minute, I've seen the direction that culture is headed, and I don't like it. And this guy, Jesus, comes along with an incredible message that seems so life-changing, it seems so countercultural, that I'm going to gravitate towards that because I know what is happening in society right now isn't working. And young person, young follower of Jesus would have said, I I don't know if, if this is the answer, But I know what's happening now isn't. And so I want to follow someone that I believe does have the answer. Some of you, like me, want to stay away from the news yesterday. 
As we started to see just the, the protests that were taking place and, and the hatred and the vitriol that was taking place in our country, we wanted to just kind of shy away and say, Let, let's just pretend that that doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. But Jesus came with a message that said we have to reach out to people who are, who are lost, who are broken. We have to come. We have the answer. We have the Prince of Peace. And he came and he dealt with those conflicts. He dealt with a society that was in a state of flux. And said, I want to come with a message that's very, very different. And so today and for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how do we not live the monopoly mindset? How do we not live as if owning it all is going to bring us success? But how do we live in a way that actually giving of myself is living? If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark chapter 8. We're going to read verses 34 to 36 in just a second. But before we do, I want to share a quick story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to travel with my family. We went to Williamsburg, Virginia. We had some friends along and just had a good time up there. But on the way back... Uh, we were driving home, it was about a 13-hour trip, and so we kind of stopped for lunch and periodic breaks throughout the day, and, and especially having our son who's three years old along uh, meant more stops for us, and, and at one of the stops, I can't remember if it was lunch or maybe stopping to get gas, but as we were getting ready to get back up on the interstate, we're just about to make a turn to get on the interstate, and, and I noticed there's a gentleman standing at the corner with a sign saying he's homeless and sharing his story in, in a brief couple of words. And I'm one of those people who, because of our debit card society, <clears throat> I often don't have cash on me. Uh, but that day, because of the trip, I'd had some cash, and we used the cash for lunch. And I literally had only a little bit of change, maybe about 74 cents, that was left in my pocket. And so I saw the guy, and I said, man, here's a chance to help out in a small way. And so I rolled down my window. I knew the light was about to change. I rolled down my window, and I reached in my pocket, and I grabbed that 74 cents. And I apologized and said, sir, this is all that I have but, but I want to give this to you. And, and we started to have a very brief conversation. He's thanking me and, and, and uh, you know, just saying, God bless you. And I kind of shared a little bit with him and tried to offer hope to him. And, and then the light changes, and I start to pull away. And I roll up my window. And Zach, our three-year-old in the back seat, starts talking. He's just trying to become aware of what's happening outside the walls of his life. And so he sees Dad talk to this guy. And he says, Daddy, who is that guy? I, well, son, he's a stranger. And I start to share a little bit. But he's like... And I said, but, but he needed some help. And so I gave him a little bit of, of money. And Zach's like, you gave him our money? And I said, I said, yeah, but I gave him our money. And he's like, why'd you give him our money? And I said, because he needed help. And he's like, but daddy, then we won't have any money. <laughs> and my thought was, I'm, I'm pretty, sure that, pretty sure that 74 cents isn't going to break us. But yet even as a, at a young age... We realize that, man, there's a part of me that wants to own things. There's a part of me that wants to, to have things. And, and, and we have to be taught because there's a gravitational pull in our lives to be more selfish. And so we have to be taught. We have to be retaught. And we have to be intentionally aware of opportunities to say, I want to give more of myself and, and keep less for myself. In the Gospel of Mark, if you open up to the New Testament, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Mark is the second one. It's the shortest one. It's a very quick-paced, a lot of action to the Gospel of Mark. 
If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is written in such a way the New Testament is the beginning of the story of Jesus. In particular, the four Gospels are his lifetime. After that, we get into the church era. But there's four different pictures of Jesus' life from these four different Gospels. And each of the Gospel writers, it was as if we were to take this room and make it a giant circle. And we put a person in the middle and said, everybody, we want you to draw a picture of that person. Now, we get different perspectives because some people are really good at art. And other people like myself are terrible at art. But the thing is, a different perspective would be that some of us would be viewing a front profile, some would be viewing it from the back, some from one side, some from the other. The Gospels are just like that. If you read the Gospel accounts, we're getting this full picture of who Jesus is from different perspectives. There's some similarities, some stories that are the same. There are some differences. In fact, the Gospel of John, the other three Gospels are pretty similar in their content. The Gospel of John has some different content entirely. But Mark's Gospel is unique in that it's, it's a shorter Gospel. He gets kind of into the action really quick. He doesn't take a lot of time with the birth narrative or Jesus growing up. It's like, let's get right into the story and the meat of it. And so Mark's Gospel is very quick and, and very direct. And in particular, in Mark chapter 8... Jesus had come and started to ask his disciples, who do people think that I am? And they're responding, well, here's who people think they are. And he says, okay, but who do you think that I am? And there's Peter. And if you don't know anything about Peter, Peter is the one who's very quick to respond. He doesn't always think things through. Each of us knows somebody like this. Like they're passionate. They're excited. They don't necessarily think through their answers very well. But they believe fully in their answer. And so Peter, here, here he responds, Peter responds, Mark's recording that, and he says, he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus starts to explain to his disciples, well, actually, I'm, I'm about to go and, and to die. And, and the, Peter's like, whoa, that can't be right. Like, that isn't how we drew this up. There's all these promises that haven't been fulfilled yet. What do you mean that you're supposed to die? Now, people who studied the Bible and put the Gospels together figured out this is about a year actually from the death of Jesus, but he's starting to prepare his disciples for what's about to take place. So this is the spring before Jesus' death. And Peter says, wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to work out. Jesus, you've got to stop this talk. And, and Jesus responds to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. This is the whole plan. You see, Peter, and this is where this whole conversation turns. Peter was looking for Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. Like, that's what the disciples were looking for. And Jesus comes and says, wait a minute. My kingdom, the one that I've come to build, is not of this world. So it's not going to have some of the trappings of other kingdoms you've seen. In fact, this is going to be very, very different. And so Peter comes, and actually, if you read the text, Peter comes and tries to correct Jesus. I don't want to be in his shoes when he does that. But Peter comes and tries to correct Jesus. Jesus says, hold on a second. Here's the deal. My kingdom is not of this world. And so I want to do this. I want to read verses 34 through 36 and then come back and comment on the first verse. But it says in verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So it's not just the disciples immediately with him, but the crowd with him. He said to them, If... Anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Watch this. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to win at the game of Monopoly? But in the process to forfeit his soul. See, Jesus said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to define success and victory much differently. I'm going to define success where my kingdom is much more important than this earthly kingdom. I'm going to find success in a way that my family is much more important than, than my career, than, than the amount of money I'm going to earn, the car that I drive. My, my life, the, the relationships that I have are more valuable than any of those things. See, there's this gravitational pull inside of each one of us to go into this, this selfish mode. Too often the Christian life is seasons of selfishness interrupted by intentional moments of selflessness. See, if we just, if we just think about life, like we have a tendency to go through seasons where, man, I'm just kind of doing things for myself, and, and I can do that in autopilot mode. I don't have to think about being selfish. It's who I was from the time I was born. And so it's very easy for me to fall into this mindset of if I could just have more, I'd feel better about life. And if I could just earn this much money, if I could just get that raise. For the millionaire, it's not enough. They say, how much is enough? They say, the next million. Because we have this natural gravitational pull, and the Christian life is too often marked by seasons of selfishness that are interrupted by brief but intentional moments of selflessness. And we see that from time to time. There's times we look back and say, man, God's put me in place to, to, to make a difference. And there's times we can look back and say, in that moment, I didn't always get it right. But in that moment, I got it right. Our hope would be that some of those moments would happen more frequently. Let's look back at that verse 34 real quick. And in verse 34, it says this, and calling the crowd to him. <clears throat> with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does, what does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Because for every one of us, there is this, this, this gravitational pull to want to live for self. And, and so it goes against everything that culture taught the followers of Jesus. See, back then, if, if you look at... Uh, the, the disparity between the upper and lower class. And a lot of Jesus' followers were of the lower class. He picked the, the people, the fishermen, whose who society had pretty much given up on ever having any, any level of education. And he said, I'm going to pick them and I'm going to go make a difference with these people whose society has given up on. But the thing we've seen over and over, if you study just, just culture and different cultures, I remember going to Honduras for the first time. And when I was in Honduras, I got a chance to meet Pastor Joni, one of the favorite people I've ever had a chance to meet. And he started to share about the, the need that was there in Honduras. And, and he said, there's so much need that's there. And when Americans show up, he said, it might not be like this in other parts of the world, but in Honduras, we love when Americans show up because you come genuinely trying to, to help us. He said, the problem is all the churches in Honduras are, are, are so poor that of necessity they've become selfish 
because there's this gravitational pull and they don't have much. And so the selfishness is even, is even an increase within their, within their circles because they don't have very much to give. So they have to hold on to what they have. So Jesus comes and says, well, this whole thing, if you truly want to know what it means to, me, to be my disciple, if anyone truly wants to come after me, it begins first with this idea of denying myself. The very picture of love is that we purpose the good of the other person. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to the picture of marriage in 1 Corinthians 13, love is purposing the good of the other person, putting their wants above my wants, putting their needs above my needs. And when I do that, I come after Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to do that for the whole world. In fact, once I saw their need, their need was so great that I was willing to give up my place in heaven to come down to where they are to live their life and to die in their stead. That we ourselves, because of his sacrifice, could have eternal life. And he came to set us free, but he also came to set an example for us. See, I'm convinced of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be among the most generous people in the world. That we should be among the most generous people in the world. Now, sometimes we see that and sometimes we don't, but that if, if Jesus has set us free, if he set that example for us, then we should be among the most generous people in the world. So he begins by saying this, if you want to come after me, deny that gravitational pull of selfishness, deny yourself, and then the second thing he says is to take up your cross. Now, I want to do a quick survey for us this morning, wake us up a little bit. When you think of the cross, What's one word that comes to mind? Out loud. Jesus, what else? Sacrifice, what else? Pain, that's a good one, what else? Death. All right, we're going someplace I didn't think we were going to go, because most people, if they're asked, when you think of the cross, I think of hope. Man, it's because of the cross I have hope. I think of life. It's because of the cross that I have life. What's that? There you go, tattoos and necklaces. Uh, but here's the thing. Jesus comes, and today in our culture, we actually got into the meat of what we're going to talk about. But in our culture, for the most part, we think of the cross, we put them on tattoos, we put them on our necklaces, because for us as followers of Jesus, we look at them as symbols of hope, as symbols of, of deliverance. We think about songs like old songs like the old rugged cross and how there's so much hope that's offered because of that sacrifice. But understand, we have 2,000 years of context of understanding that. When Jesus spoke those words, his disciples didn't know any of this. The disciples didn't know about Jesus' impending death necessarily. They definitely didn't know about his resurrection. All they knew about the cross was that it was a cruel torturing device that the Romans were used because they were experts at torture. And so when we hear the words, deny yourself and take up your cross, we think, oh yeah, we want to be like Jesus. But for them, they didn't know that's what was coming. So when they said those words, there was with a heaviness to those words. Wait a minute, Jesus, what are you talking about? That we have to first deny ourselves, which seems like a whole lot to me. But now I have to be willing to endure this infliction of pain. Like, like Jesus, that's a lot. It wasn't for them a symbol of hope yet. 
It was a symbol of cruel torture. So Jesus, what do you mean that I have to be willing to do this? That I have to be willing to take up the cross? Because for all of us, part of that gravitational pull towards self, selfishness is because we like comfort. How many people like to be comfortable? How many people, like, I go into my house and it's 80, it's like 98 degrees outside, and I love having air conditioning, I like to be comfortable. I don't think there's anything wrong with being comfortable. But when comfort is our motivation, our calling suffers. When comfort is our motivation, our calling suffers. If all we're concerned with in life is being comfortable, well, then our calling at some point starts to suffer. I thought about that in light of the protests going, taking place yesterday. Like, I looked at that, and probably like you, like, like I, got, I got a righteous anger. I said, man, our, our society isn't supposed to be like this. This isn't what we're supposed to stand for. And the crazy thing is, from what I've heard, there were a lot of Christians that are part of the protest taking place. I said, man, that's just not what we're supposed to be about. And he sat there and said, but what can we do? See, we like comfort. We like to sit here and say, well, it's not my responsibility. Let me, let me go sit back in my car with my nice cool AC and enjoy this moment, which I understand. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. But when comfort is our primary motivation, our calling suffers. So Jesus comes and says, let's stop being comfortable. Let's begin by denying ourselves. Let's continue by taking up our cross. And then ultimately, it's then that he gives us the invitation. And follow me. Follow the example of Jesus. First in our faith. If we've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to accept his free gift, his sacrifice, it's the most important decision we're ever going to make. This morning we celebrated three people who'd given their life to Christ and now followed him in baptism as a picture of, of the decision to follow him. So first we follow him in, 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 in faith, and then we follow it up with obedience. We say, Jesus, I want to accept your free gift. I want to follow you in faith. And then once I have that faith, I now want to follow up in obedience. I want to do what you've called me to do. A while back I had lunch with one of my friends. And we're talking about some of these things, and we're talking about even baptism. Baptism, as we see the picture up on, uh, in, the, in the baptistry, is the picture literally of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're talking through some of these things, and, and what that looks like when we walk out of the water, and what is the, the life change that takes place. Like we all say, if we're followers of Jesus, we say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But he made this statement which seems so simple at the point, at, at, that, at that time. But yet at the same time, so profound. He said, J.J., the most important part of following Jesus is actually following Jesus. Like we all say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. But then we say, well, he's, he showed us. Here's what we're supposed to do. Like this isn't something that's like a gray area and say, hey, if you want to do these things. Jesus, the wording here didn't say, hey, if you follow me, I got an idea that you can give or take if you want. If you choose to deny yourself, that's okay, but if you want to live, he didn't, he didn't come saying this is a gray area. He says this is how we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to own it all. If anything, we're supposed to give it all. We're supposed to say, man, Jesus, I realize your kingdom isn't a kingdom of this world. You didn't come to establish a kingdom in this world. 
So instead of living for self, where I build up all this stuff for myself, I say, Jesus, how can I give myself away? The most important part of following Jesus is literally following Jesus, following the teaching that he has for us. Let's pray together. God, first of all, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the enthusiasm, the excitement, God. There's, there's nothing uh, we enjoy more as a church than to see life change take place. Uh, I've got to thank you for three people today that took on baptism as a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, God, first and foremost, we celebrate this morning uh, what you're doing in people's lives. But, God, as overjoyed as we are in those moments, we also look at the state of our world. And whether it's, whether it's national stuff that's taking place with uh, just the, these vile protests and everything that's taking place there, or even if it's international stuff going on with, with conflict right now with North Korea, uh, God, it just seems like right now the world is literally going crazy. And God, I pray that amidst that conflict, that you would bring us into that world as, as people, as messengers of, of the peace that comes only in the form of Jesus. And so, God, my prayer right now is for anybody right here, right now, that has been living their life on this treadmill of thinking that success is coming in the form of, of the stuff that we have, that if we would just own it all, that we'd, we'd, we'd find some measure of, of fulfillment in our life, and yet at the end of that race, it's getting us nowhere. That treadmill isn't moving. And so, God, if there's, if there's someone here this morning that has been living their life for themselves, thinking that if they please themselves enough, they're going to measure, they're going to find some measure of satisfaction. God, I pray right now that you would break their hearts about that. They'd realize satisfaction will never come in those things, but satisfaction will come in Jesus. God, if there's anybody who's never given their life to him, God, I pray that even right now, you'd make them aware of, of their need, that sin has broken their relationship with you, and that it's because of Jesus that they can have the hope of eternity with you. God, for those of us who already call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we have that pull, that insatiable appetite to go back to what we used to know. God, break that habit in our life. Let us not live in a way that we want to own it all, but that we can have what you've given us to be used in a powerful way to impact your kingdom. Not the kingdom of this world, because that's going to disappear. But God, to impact your kingdom, which is eternal. God bless us. Give us wisdom to the decisions that you put upon our heart right now. And the confidence to make those decisions. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.